Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Jim Ventura. Thanks for joining me today, whether you're catching the show live or in archives. Uh, welcome to uh, my show. Uh, a little bit about me real quick, and then we'll kind of dive into our uh, topic today. Uh, again, my name is Jim Ventura. I am a professional navigational consultant. Uh, my expertise is in astrology and numerology. Um, always really good at math, I guess, at multiple levels. Uh, also, um, uh, quite good uh, with uh, tarot and runes and uh, angel cards and all kinds of different oracles. I've been uh, doing this type of work for many, many years. I have a home office here in Phoenix. Um, if you're wanting any information about that, I do sessions in my home office, uh, obviously, with people live here, but also uh, via phone, so uh, you don't have to live in Phoenix to be able to get a session. Uh, go to my website at jimventura.com, and you can check out information on different services I offer, um, as well as a new client uh, discount special that I'm currently running. Also, a published author, a couple of books, and all that info is on the website, and I do a monthly column called Snake Oil, which is where the, uh, the radio show has uh, sprung from, so to speak. Um, if you're not already getting my monthly column, email me at VenturaSag at Yahoo.com, and uh, I'll add you to the free monthly newsletter mailing list. Uh, people who follow my newsletter uh, get access to a lot of really good information. They could read my columns or go my books before they're published. Uh, once a month, and your email address is never going to be shared with anyone. Also, the uh, column is blind uh, copied out once a month. Okay. Uh, anyway, get all the information to Ventura.com. Go check that out. Uh, I've got a couple different formats that I do with the shows. Uh, I have to admit I have been a little lax with the radio show. I used to get about three in a month, sometimes four. I've been averaging closer to two. Um, just a lot of traveling and various other things that I guess have kind of uh, absorbed up my time, um, but I'll try to get back to at least doing two or three every month. Uh, we've got a couple different themes. Usually in the beginning of the month, I do a uh, live column read and subsequent explanation of that in more detail. Um, and then we usually have our astrology update show, which we're doing today, where I'm not only going to update you on what's going on astrologically, but uh, toward the end of the show, I'll be able to take one or two live calls if anyone wants a quick little rune pull or a card or two pulled if they've got a question they want to ask. Um, we could do a five-minute mini uh, for free on air. I'll probably only get to maybe two of those, um, so uh, call in early if you want to get on that list. Uh, okay. Anyway, uh, and I'm also doing micro-classes uh, online as well. If you, if you haven't caught those, go back over the previous shows. You can just see the Michael teachings um, right from the beginning. I've done, I believe, three so far, um, and I will have another one coming up in June. I'm not sure of the day yet, but it will be a Thursday, so that's pretty definitive. Um, but you really do want to catch that. Um, I, I, words cannot explain the value in learning to understand the Michael teachings. So highly recommend that. And I'm only early into the series. Um, I normally would teach those classes here at home. Um, and had many years ago, I would have lots of different students who would come for those classes. I've decided to largely give those away free uh, via the radio show now, so um, you're really going to catch something that is extremely valuable um, at multiple levels. In fact, some ways, Michael's, the Michael teachings are a little easier to understand than um, even astrology, which can be a little more complicated, but also a very excellent tool in helping you understand and navigate and maneuver through life. Okay, so on to today's show, 
we're doing an astrology update show. I kind of want to tell you what's going on with the planets, how that should ultimately be affecting you as well. Um, a little basics behind astrology if you're somewhat new to it. Um, you know, when you're born, the, wherever the planets are in terms of signs, houses, this is why we need the time of birth, a good astrologer to get an accurate astrology chart done. kind of sets into motion certain different dynamics and dispositions you will have in areas of life you would tend to be more focused on than others. Um, astrology does not make choices for us. We still make decisions and choices. But it's kind of like we don't come in cold and get sort of thrown into the game randomly. We do have certain purposes and intents, things to work through to learn, again, certain dispositions. Um, you know, if you have a lot of Gemini in your chart, for instance, you're going to be, your big focus is going to be analytical, mental analysis, learning information. Uh, ergo, same type of thing when we look at um, uh, astrological charts from house placements, because those in some ways correlate in some respects with the signs as well, too. There are 12 houses in astrology. So naturally, quote-unquote, the uh, first house corresponds to Aries, second house to Taurus, third house to Gemini, and so on. So if you've got a lot of planets in, like, a third house, even if you're not Gemini, uh, say Sagittarius occupies that house, you're still going to have a very Gemini feel about your life in some respects. That's one of the things that's interesting about learning astrology as well and really grasping that dynamic. So, um, so I want to go – now, I can't obviously get into the house placements – of uh, things because uh, that's more individualized. In other words, again, that's why birth time is required by an astrologer to really accurately figure out what your rising sign is and the placement of how your houses are lined up according to uh, Western astrology. Um, and there's all kinds of different systems of reading astrology, of course. Um, I've looked at many. I, I really do go with Placidus, which is a house placement, as being the most accurate, even though I'm sure you can get great insight and value from looking at other house placements as well to other systems, Chinese astrology and Hindu astrology and things of that nature. You know, ultimately they all kind of boil down to painting a picture of us at one level or another. And again, I'm sure they work. I just have preferred to work with uh, Western astrology because it's what I started with and I really do find it to be valuable. So, okay, so let's dive in here. What do we got going on? Well, right now the sun is in Gemini and Mercury is in Gemini and uh, Mars is also in Gemini. So we kind of have a lot going on in Gemini. So in addition to the sun, Mercury and Mars all being in Gemini right now, we've got Mercury retrograde in Gemini. So let's kind of tackle that first because that's definitely going to affect everyone uh, at one level or another. If you're not familiar with a Mercury retrograde, let's talk a little bit about what Mercury itself represents. It represents in our chart, how we think, how we communicate, how we express ourselves. People with an active Mercury in their chart tend to be very mercurial, meaning they're, they're analytical, they're inquisitive, they're smart. Um, they have a tendency to analyze everything. It's a, um, Mercury in Gemini is then placed in an air sign, a mutable air sign, meaning an adaptable, changeable, flexible air sign in some respects as well. So we see that dynamic operating also. Um, now, because Mercury rules the way we think and communicate, a couple times a year it will go backwards for about three weeks. Now, physically and technically it's not going backwards. It just looks like that from Earth's orbit. You know, all planets at some point go retrograde except for the sun, which isn't the planet anyway. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, what you find with Mercury retrograde, it's about a three-week period. It started last Wednesday, so I think that was about the 20th maybe, that it went retrograde. And it will be retrograde until June 11th. 
so, you know, this is kind of classic Mercury retrograde. When Mercury goes retrograde, it tends to kind of mess up communication, information, uh, missed appointments, electronic equipment. You know, everything that's connected with communication can get a little screwier. Um, you know, the other thing is really a, a big part of what Mercury retrograde is all about. It also has us reevaluating something. So kind of re-looking at a position or placement of something in our life. Often people from our past may show up. Um, issues that we thought we'd already resolved or solved, they come back for us to look at them again, so to speak. Um, so while some of the classic elements of Mercury re retrograde hold true, where it can kind of just mess up your head a little bit in terms of communication expression and missed appointments and people misreading what's being said and things of that nature. You know, a bigger part of this, of course, in the, in the retrograde is, again, that reevaluation of an area in our life. So when we look at Gemini itself as a sign, um, Gemini, again, mutable masculine air sign. Uh, so wherever Gemini is in your chart, and, and here's the thing, even if you're not a Gemini, meaning your son was not a Gemini when you were born, you've got Gemini somewhere in your chart. It's not missing. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be somewhere, sometimes in a specific house or sometimes even crossing through two houses in your astrology chart. So, again, because you, you don't have the chart of the people I'm talking to in front of me, you can look all this up yourself, by the way. Um, search, uh, sites like astro.com and things like that, you can get a lot of basic astrology information for free. Um, also, of course, that's what I do. Uh, if you don't want to do all the research and all the work, you can contact me and, and hire me to, to do all, all this work for you. I'm incredibly good at it. Um, incredibly valuable to how to understand this stuff. But, you know, just for purposes of explanation, Mercury, for me, for instance, right now, the retrograde started off in the second house and moved back into the first house. Now, because I have Gemini covering part of my first and certainly the energy of my second house, first house is our personality um, our disposition, who we are, technically Taurus rising, but I do have Gemini in the first house as well. And the second house is money, finances, what we value, what makes us feel secure, how we work, um, how we sustain ourselves at multiple levels. So perfect example of this, just using myself as an example, I make a living by speaking, communicating, uh, expressing myself, and um, writing, analysis, teaching, very Gemini things is how I make a living. Duh. See what I mean? So, great example of this. This is how literal astrology is. This is why it can be pretty trippy if you've never had your astrology chart interpreted by a good astrologer because it's so much insight. You're just in such a simplistic way into who you are and the way you do things because of these planetary placements. So, for me, this retrograde has kind of been really looking at where I'm spending my money, how I earn my money. Um, you know, uh, just what it, how I gain security. But it's interesting because it started off in the money house, but now it's gone retrograde backwards into the first house. And I really have, you know, in the first house is like our personality, who we are. So it's really, it's really making me look at how I communicate, how I talk and express with people, and also, you know, whether I sometimes have kind of a scattergun approach to that in that sense. I sometimes will talk to a lot of different people. And it's always sort of interesting when that happens because I, I, don't, I can't specifically pinpoint what it is, but for some reason, for the most part, people tend to either kind of like me within reason or kind of want my approval somehow. So I have to be careful sometimes how I talk to people in that sense because sometimes it brings up expectancy in, in ways that uh, I'm, I won't say unaware of, 
but that people will sometimes misread that. So I'm definitely going through a very classic example of Mercury retrograde because it's now pushing into my first house as well. So for you guys, you don't know if your house placements, what you can still kind of get from this, again, until June 11th, is it's in Gemini. So it's always going to kind of have to do with our basic communication and expression, um, kind of dealing with the people around us, Somehow, you know, sometimes family members, short journeys, the details of life to some extent as well, how we learn, how we communicate. We're going to be reevaluating those positions. Now, the positive pole and of expression of Gemini is I think. And if you're true Gemini, you have a lot of Gemini in your chart, you'll understand that you often have a point of view and an opinion on a lot of different things. Uh, Gemini is because immutable tend to be very multifaceted in their approach. And it can be a somewhat friendly sign in that way. I'll be very inquisitive. Um, the negative is I scheme. And what that basically means is if you're a true Gemini, you understand this. Because you're smart, you sometimes tend to outthink people or tend to play life as if it's a little bit of a chess game in some respects. So it, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but taken to extremes, sometimes you might push the buttons, so to speak, in life and, and do things that maybe are a little questionable in terms of how you communicate and express yourself. So uh, don't get too uncomfortable by that. Because if you're getting uncomfortable by me saying that, then obviously there's some truth ringing through <laughs> with that. Of course, that's a human nature thing. Uh, but anyway, so we've got um, this Mercury retrograde going on. So, yeah, just, you know, I, this is what I always tell people. You know, because you want to be careful about signing contracts, things of that nature during the Mercury retrograde. Again, it can feel like you're going over things again. Um, you know, but it doesn't mean you crawl into a ball and hide and not work or do anything during a retrograde. That that would be silly. Um, just if you're signing a contract, you're planning something, you know, cross your T's, dot your I's, really go over it a little bit more thoroughly um, because you may have to go over it again afterwards. And also, um, but it doesn't mean don't do it. You know, uh, I'm, I've got a couple of slow days ahead business-wise. I'm going to get a lot of things done that I've wanted to get done. So I'm kind of taking advantage of it being a little slower than normal. But uh, I know that will change anyway in that sense after a few days. It doesn't typically stay slow for long when my business slows down a little. There's a rhythm to it. Um, but, again, I'm going to still get things done. I'm just kind of not knocking myself out. Um, I had a Gemini in my office here, a very nice guy, very intelligent guy who was really, you know, complaining in some respects about his lack of energy and drive. And uh, and uh, it was interesting chatting with him because explaining the Mercury retrograde and him, Gemini, trying to get a lot of things done. Again, it's like you got to kind of sometimes slow down in that process. So he just kept kind of thinking of ways to drive himself even harder. And I had to sort of say, hey, you know, slow down. Especially Mercury retrograde in Gemini for Gemini is going to be compounded in terms of its influence. But uh, we've got, you know, the sun's in Gemini. So for all of us, that means we're getting a life source of vitality through communication, through expression, through information exchange, through knowledge. Uh, Mercury, again, we talked about that. But Mars is also in Gemini. So because it's Mars represents aggressiveness and assertiveness in our chart, be conscious that if you are um, uh, trying not to get caught up in the potential of being combative with people at some level, you know, Mars in Gemini can push us to seek out knowledge and information and to learn. So there's a value there uh, to be kind of a relentless researcher in some capacity. Um, but we also can 
because Gemini sort of looks at the dual side of things, sometimes we may see the other sides of people's character and they get frustrated with it, or it can sort of bring out our own Dr. Jekyll and, and Mr. Hyde side uh, as well, too. So I do kind of recommend while Mars pushes its way through Gemini to be conscious that you can really get your point across and express yourself and all of that is good, but sort of know when to kind of pause um, one of the negatives of that can be uh, applicative for air signs is what I humorously call diarrhea of the mouth. Uh, tendency sometimes to say too much or not know when to kind of reel it back. Fire signs can somewhat have this issue too. Uh, usually water signs and earth signs are a little more savvy about um, self-control in that sense. Uh, but then they have their own issues too. So we're not canonizing anybody here. Everyone's got <laughs> good and bad sides to them. Uh, but my sun sign is fire, and my moon sign is air, so I'm a definitive combination of air. But I do have an earth rise sign, rising sign, so that kind of tends to ground me a bit. Um, so uh, so we've got Mars for another about month or so, pushing its way through Gemini as well. So again, a lot of Gemini stuff going on uh, at this point in the game. The moon right now is in Libra. As I mentioned in previous shows, the moon typically stays in a sign for only about uh, two or three days. So it's kind of something that it's worth tracking to look at your moods and where your emotional energy is going. But because it's not generally a long-term influence, um, it may not be as imperative to get into that. You know, the moon in Gemini can really have us kind of looking at that need for relationships and connections with other people for a couple of days and looking at diplomacy issues, things of that nature. Um, Venus is in Cancer. Um, in a week or so, it will push its way into Leo. Now, Venus rules um, how we use feminine energy, creativity, um, often the way we love, the way we express our, our sensitive sides, our creative sides, um, again, our feminine sides in that respect. So a prominent Venus in your chart is often significant. If you have Venus on your descendant or ascendant or in certain other places conjunct with other planets, it'll tend to give you a natural creative disposition, creative slant or bent, um, often strongly placed Venus in a natal chart, can have a lot to do with being um, charismatic, beautiful, attractive, um, you know, uh, appealing uh, in one capacity or another. A lot of people with strong Venuses are very creative. Um, so Venus right now is in Cancer. Um, again, it will push its way into Leo. You know, often Venus in Cancer is really kind of a strong focus on the comforts of home, um, how we nurture and care for others because of the place within cancer. There can be concerns that can come up around family. Thankfully, Venus itself is ultimately kind of an easier planet in that respect. Even when it's in hard angles, so to speak, to other planets, Venus in our chart does kind of tend to show um, somewhat of a softer side of us in some respects, uh, again, dependent on the sign that it's in. So, Venus will push its way into Leo. What you're going to find in the next week or two as it does, and Venus, by the way, will stay in a, house, in a sign in a house for about a month, a month and a half, unless it goes retrograde, which it won't be now. Venus going into Leo, um, you know, that can really kind of spark a little bit of the creative side of, of love matters, of relationships, of, um, you know, kind of wanting to put yourself or whatever you do creatively a little bit more out in the world. It can be, though, because Leo itself is a more confident, prouder sign, you know, the planet of love, creativity, feminine energy going into that sign, you can kind of almost figure out what type of effect this is going to have. Um, 
so that's the nice thing about tracking Venus in astrology. Again, it usually shows where there is certainly a fair amount of ease or relative harmony that can come into play. You know, the easier planets, so to speak, in our charts are kind of Jupiter and Venus. Um, they have their own, uh, I hate to call them darker sides with difficult aspects, but for the most part they tend to be somewhat easier planets in terms of their influence in our chart. Um, so uh, we will see Venus moving its way again into Leo in about a week or so. Um, Mars, again, I mentioned, you know, Mars rules assertiveness, aggressiveness, or male energy. Mars is in Gemini. Typically, Mars will stay in a sign for about two to three months. Um, so, again, Mars is in Gemini. So, just kind of really repointing that out. Lots of Gemini going on. A lot about communication, expression, looking at dual side of things. Be conscious of that, of that push um, that's going on right now. Jupiter, though, is in Leo. Um, Jupiter will typically stay in the sun for a year to a year and a half. Um, for the most part, Jupiter is kind of like the benefactor in our chart. It's where we're optimistic, where we're larger than life, where we're abundant, where we're colorful. Um, you know, Sagittarians ruling planet is uh, Jupiter. Um, it's a dramatic planet in that sense. Uh, wherever Jupiter is in our chart will show where we do things in a big way, where we're expansive. Uh, it can also show where we tend to overindulge. Um, I have Jupiter natally in Taurus on my ascendant in my chart, which is like uh, like literally having the planet on me. So I, this is one of the reasons I can have kind of a strong impact on people. Um, but because it's in Taurus, it's in a very practical sign. But, you know, the funny thing is um, positive and negative poles of Taurus. Positive pole of Taurus is I have. Um, it's negative is I indulge. And uh, I definitely would be um, very, very... Uh, notorious for my tendency toward indulgence sometimes. Um, even like when I go to Vegas, I, I don't, I've never smoked cigarettes in my life, but I do smoke cigars. Um, and uh, sometimes I'll smoke like six or seven cigars in a day, and then I can't even sleep for two hours when I go to bed because I have so much tobacco coursing through my body. And then I'll go for weeks without smoking a cigar at all. Um, same thing like we get ice cream in the house, I'll just almost keep eating it until it's um, like nauseous, and then I'll just try to keep it away for a while. Um, I always laugh when I talk to Tauruses and I tell them about that negative pole of indulgence, and they look at me quizzically, like, "What? I'm not indulgent." It's like, "Yes, you are. <laughs> at one level or another, there's some indulgence going on if you're a true, true bull, truly Taurian." But uh, right now, we've got Jupiter actually transiting its way through a Leo. So and I've talked about this on previous shows, but you know, this is a great placement for um, again. Uh, looking at where we can be confident and proud and strong, Leonian things, uh, where we're creative, where we're expressive at some level, where we want to shine, where we want to be seen as the giver, where we want to be seen as generous, where we want to allow ourselves to participate in the energy of, of kind of being larger larger than life, so to speak. So Jupiter's got a ways to go. Um, it was retrograde through Leo uh, a couple of months back for a few months, actually. So now it's direct again. Through Leo, so because um, you were kind of working something out creatively or about, you know, how 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 we give, so to speak, and how that affects other people and how that imprints them in some respects, you kind of start to look at this whole giving type theme that originates with Cancer and then spreads into Leo, and then we see it to some extent even moving into Virgo in some ways um, in terms of that energy pattern. So, um, okay. 
look at a couple of the planets here. We've got Saturn in uh, Sagittarius, retrograde right now. So Saturn's the other retrograde planet. Um, Saturn will more or less go retrograde every year for a few months. Um, Saturn will stay in a sign for about two to three years. As a general rule of thumb, closer to three. Um, so Saturn represents restriction and limitation and caution and where we often are um, sometimes fearful, cautious, uh, pragmatic, slow. Um, Saturn can represent where we have difficulties. And Saturn's kind of an interesting planet in our chart because if you look at Saturn, like when you're younger, Saturn is sort of that limitation, those things that we strive for that we're cautious about, that we tend to fall down, pick ourselves back up and have to keep learning. Um, but when we get older, Saturn sort of becomes kind of more of an ally. And then we realize it was an ally even when we were younger because in some ways it did slow us down. But, you know, often slow and steady wins the race. So Saturn in our chart, again, when you're 20, 30, it often could be incredibly frustrating because it can bring up things we're fearful about um, and, and cautious about and, and tend to not have as much confidence about um, but as we get older, it, because we've often worked at it and we've learned through trial and error, often a lot of error, we often become really good at Saturn, wherever it is in our natal chart. So um, right now we've got Saturn moving through Sagittarius and, and retrograde, again, going backwards uh, from at least perspective anyway. So what that typically is going to do is, you know, in, in a very funny, humorous way, any trips that we take, any journeys um, anything that we do philosophically in terms of expansiveness, Sagittarius, um, we may be kind of re-going over that again. We might uh, be willing to take trips and journeys, but be very practical in looking at the details of it. And it was conservative on our approach to how we necessarily do it. You know, it's very funny. I can use this as a perfect example. I just came back from Vegas, and I usually go to Vegas about every two months, and I had driven up to Vegas from Phoenix, which is about a little under a five-hour drive. And I thought to myself, you know what, the summer's coming. Um, it's going to get really hot. I've got a 2001 Prius. Um, it's running great still. Highly recommend them. Um, in fact, I'm on the original battery on 160,000 miles still, which is pretty trippy. Um, but, uh, but, but I thought, you know, I'm going to fly to Vegas next time when I go in July or August. So when I came back, I normally book my trip. And round trip from Southwest Airlines and the other airlines from Phoenix to Las Vegas is like 210 bucks. Now, uh, I'm not poor. I can afford it. But um, I, can't, I can't wrap myself around the idea of the airlines charging $210 round trip to go to Phoenix to Las Vegas. It's such baloney to me. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's the same thing to go to L.A., San Diego now. It's a little over 200 bucks. And, you know, I just fly to New York round trip for about 340 and, and there's basically a, like a flight to Las Vegas between the, all the major airlines from Phoenix like every five to ten minutes. So it just seems like such a rip-off to me in that sense. And I was decided to even book my next trip because I'm not sure. It almost makes more sense for me to rent a car um, and just not use my car just because, you know, I get a car for $30 a day for three days and it's cheaper. If I fly, then i got to pay for cabs to get around, monorail, buses, um, you know, shuttles. So, you know, I'm pushing into three three and change for just transportation costs alone for a three-day trip, and that pisses me off. So uh, I'm just saying, I'm just telling you this now because it made me think about that Saturnian issue with trips and things, that, you know, that the pragmatic, practical old man in me just, 
can swing it. I just refuse. But it used to be like a hundred and uh, you know twenty bucks, hundred thirty bucks round trip. So it just seems like a ripoff to me. And I recognize that prices go up, but again, it's still a lot cheaper to drive. So anyway, Saturn retrograde through Sagittarius can have us kind of reevaluating those positions. Uh, and, and hopefully my little rant illustrated that very, very well in that sense because, again, it's like it's frustrating, but it really is just pushing you a lot of times, Saturn, to be more practical and pragmatic in your approach to how you necessarily do things. And what I kind of derived from my situation was like, maybe I won't go to Vegas as often. I usually go every two months. Maybe I'll cut it back to every three months or so because it's getting more costly for me to go in terms of travel costs. And it's only for the summer. Um, I have a local Harris that I go out here to anyway that's 35, 40 minutes away, and they give me free hotel rooms and and actually a lot more perks in some ways. So strangely enough, I kind of have a mini vacation, you know, two or three times a month that I do anyway. So maybe I'll just push that to three or four times a month, you know. So, okay, this is my personal rant on this. Uh, but uh, so Sagittarius... Um, with Saturn going retrograde, it's going to have us reevaluating, reviewing these things. And, you know, and, and just, you know, when we look at Saturn, because Jupiter and Saturn are kind of almost like bridge planets. Meanwhile, they affect us personally. They're also very noticeable in the world at some level, um, which is what we see a lot with even the outer planets. Um, but Jupiter represents how we expand ourselves, and Saturn represents how we restrict ourselves. Um, so, you know, we had the last couple of years, Saturn was moving through Scorpio. I had talked about the fact that Anytime someone did something that was a little debatable in terms of its uh, ethical right or wrong, they would kind of smack down rather rapidly as Saturn moved through Scorpio. Now it's in Sagittarius, so uh, again, it is going to affect philosophy, uh, travel, teaching, uh, things that are very naturally Sagittarian in tone in terms of creating some kind of awareness around that subject for us as a society as well, too. Uh, maybe I'll go into that in more detail in another show because I definitely could expand on that. I want to mention a little bit about the outer planets. Um, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. You know, one of the reasons I don't go into a lot of detail about astrological movement with these planets is because they typically stay in science for very long. Um, Uranus, seven, eight years. In a sign, Neptune, closer to 10. Uh, Pluto closer to 14 or 15, um, they stay in signs for a long time. So they typically are more of an effect in terms of, of generations or effects on society in a larger way. But, you know, interestingly, if you also look at these planets in a personal chart, so like, as a, as like for instance, Pluto's movement through a, a sign in a house in your chart can be there for 10, 15 years before it moves into another a sign in house. Um, so, uh, you know, but at a personal level, where Pluto is in your chart in terms of its house placement is very personal. Same thing with Uranus and Neptune. So a little brief description of these planets. You know, Uranus rules where we're odd, we're eccentric, we're iconoclastic, where we're unique. So people with a strongly placed Uranus in their chart um, often are weird and eccentric and odd and detached and interesting and brilliant um, and a little iconoclastic. Now, if, Gemini, if uh, Uranus is poorly placed in a chart, meaning it's got hard angles to um, other planets, one can almost become rebellious in more, a more extreme extent. Uh, extent. You know, like when I was driving to Vegas, I, I passed this point where there's a big billboard that someone must have paid for and obviously put up that says abolish the IRS. Now, 
you know, I can sort of understand the concern about taxes and the IRS and all the baloney attached to that and see the problems there. But I don't really know, understand the value billboard up suggesting we fully abolish the IRS. I don't think that's going to happen anyway. Um, but it almost seems sort of like a little on the odd side, a uh, very Uran Uranian thing for somebody to do uh, in that respect. Um, and, and again, I could totally disagree with the message, but it does seem a little um, uh, antagonistic almost in some respects as well to um, so that's that's kind of in a nutshell how Uranus works. When it's poorly, uh, po positively placed in a chart, meaning good angles to other planets and its placement, we really can be brilliant, unique, original. Um, the, uh, Aquarius's ruling planet is uh, Uranus, by the way. Um, but when it's poorly placed, again, there can be sort of like almost, again, a nonconformism that can be a little bit problematic almost. So it's going through... Um, Uranus right now for years has been in Aries, and I've mentioned this in other shows, that it's really drumming up a lot of war and drama and um, people kind of fighting back and striving for independence and various other things that can obviously happen with Uranus moving through a, a sign like Aries. Now, Neptune is at home in Pisces, and Neptune in our chart represents where we're sensitive, where we're kind, where we tend to see where we want to be selfless and giving at some level. It tends to be the thing in our chart where we find magic and God and beautiful things through um, our kindness, our giving, our sensitivity, our humility, our humanity. Um, it's also the place in our chart where we tend to wear rose-colored glasses and sometimes see things that way. Um, you know, Neptune can be the place in your chart where you've seen magic. And it can also be the place in your chart where the angels have wept when you saw something that wasn't there, when you trusted too much, when you... Um, when you focus more on what you wanted than what was actually in front of you. Um, Neptune often asks us to dissolve the way we look at certain things while still maintaining some element of empathy. Um, no easy task, <laughs> by the way. And if you're Pisces, your ruling planet is Neptune, so that planet just is going to ring home to you in a lot of ways at multiple levels. So, um, that you, But Neptune is at home in Pisces uh, in its transiting. And Pluto represents where we have intense experiences, you know, like Pluto is the pl uh, planet of our deepest intense power. It's a part of us that's a control freak, but it's also the part of us that uh, can sometimes be dormant for a long period of time. It's like a volcano. Every once in a while, Pluto will erupt. It's almost like it's collected up something and then it explodes, but mostly it sits dormant. Um, I've got Pluto in my romance, risk-taking playhouse. I've got other things there, too, but um, in Virgo... And uh, I know for me, creatively, like when I write, it's almost like a slow build when I have an idea about something. It builds and it builds and it builds, and then it just erupts and comes out onto paper. Um, I do. It's weird. I still handwrite my columns when I write them. Then I kind of type them up um, and then start editing that way and print them out. It's an interesting process that I go through. But there's times when it just, when it comes, it just comes, and it really comes strongly. And other times when... You know, it, it, I could, I can be creative, but it's almost like I'm forcing it because it's not fully there yet. Um, thankfully, I have Mars conjuncted, which does put a little push into the situation. But Pluto in your chart can show where you, you've got intense talents and abilities where you can be a little bit controlling 
in some respects as well. Um, Pluto is uh, Scorpio's natal ruling planet, and most Scorpios can understand that, that ability to have power and they have to debate at times in life whether you should use it or not. Because just because you have power doesn't mean you necessarily always use it. And I think that's the wisdom that we often want to acquire when we're dealing with a planet like Pluto and, um, and its movement uh, right now is in Capricorn. So uh, really pushing a lot of buttons for people toward work and practical matters as it kind of works its way through Capricorn. Uh, again, I've talked about that in previous shows. When the economy kind of went through its dip, its recession, its, um, uh, it was a depression in Arizona anyway, um, in 2008, um, that was around the time that Pluto had moved out of Sagittarius and into Capricorn. And it really made people have to re-climb up the ladder in a lot of ways, towards things uh, very standard for Capricorns. Uh, you know, if you're a true Capricorn, you understand the value of work. You know that if you fall down, you pick yourself back up and you make yourself stronger. You know, for the rest of us that aren't Capricorn, when that happens, that can feel really tough. So uh, pass yourself on the back, Capricorns, because uh, you guys usually get this uh, because you've lived it already <laughs> in that respect. Okay. Um, so some of the basics of our astrology updates. I had a few people kind of popping in and out of the chat room, but uh, no one is called in. So that said, um, I'm going to give the phone number here in case anybody does. But I think I'm going to pull a rune um, and, and talk about that um, just for anybody listening who caught this show this far. There will be a reason that you're meant to hear this message, and that's what I am now, in fact, I, I'm really thinking an animal totem as opposed to a rune. So let me pull an animal totem and see what comes up for my listeners today. Uh, I can probably take one call at 646-200-3966 um, still. Otherwise, I'm going to, um, if anyone wants to call in that's catching the show live, um, you can take advantage of that. I think I used to have just so many people, um, I used to have so many people who were, uh, calling in on these shows, but I haven't been consistent, so I think I've lost a lot of my, my followers. Uh, I have to get back to some consistency and get, again to re, reignite that. Um, I'm, I'm not stressed about that, by the way. I know a lot of people catch my show in archive. Okay, so uh, I will take one call still if someone is able to call through, but otherwise I'm going to tell you about a totem uh, energy that I pulled for contemplation for anyone who lo is listening to the show right now. So animal totems are very interesting. I work with druid animal totems. Um, I do this in session with people, and it's incredibly enlightening. Uh, in fact, I've had a special this month for this uh, particular um, uh, uh, this type of reading, so to speak. So let me. I'm just going to go dive right in here into this animal, and in a lot of ways, it'll be kind of self-explanatory. So the totem that came up for today, for anyone listening to the show to consider for contemplation, it may actually help you answer certain questions that may be going on in your head right now. Actually, came up the energy of a stag. So let me tell you what stag means in the Druid tradition. I'm actually going to quote directly from the book here, and then we'll talk a little bit about it with a few minutes that we have remaining. So stag in the Druid tradition means pride, independence, and purification. He says the card shows a stag bellowing as it stands before a gateway of birch trees. According to the Druid tradition, the birch is the tree of beginnings, and the stag is the creature from the beginning of time. The gateway in the background represents the place of transition from this world to the other world, and the stag is often seen as an otherworldly messenger. On the rock beside him is a carved figure of a man wearing antlers. He is the god Cernunus, Hernia the Hunter, or Merlin. 
plants in the foreground are all associated with the stag. Pennycrest, mountains are all common asparagus, and heathrush. Okay. Now, in this case, the way I pulled the card came up reversed. Now, if the card comes up reversed, it doesn't mean that it's bad. It means that there's sort of another lesson behind this. Often we have to move more cautiously with the energy of the stag. We have to look at it both in its positive and negative um, respect. So let me read the reverse position. Um, he says, this card shows that you need to examine the degree to which your pride is helping or hindering you. Pride can be a valuable feeling when it helps you to give only of your best, but it can also block your development and enjoyment of life as it exists only to protect your feelings of vulnerability and inadequacy. Ask yourself whether your pride is serving you, and if not, see whether the qualities of the stag can help you to find integrity and dignity without the need for inappropriate pride. The stag god, as Lord of the Hunt, is responsible for culling, which can be seen as a process of purification or sacrifice, maintaining a proper ecological balance. During this card, reverse may signify the need for sacrifice or purification in your life, perhaps to a letting go of unnecessary possessions or emotional attachments, thereby helping you to gain independence and integrity. Okay, bring up a lot of really good points here. So, you know, you know that's the interesting thing. One of the seven fears that human beings uh, potentially can have are is arrogance. It's a positive pole being pride and this negative pole being vanity, um, which is a fear of vulnerability. You know, sometimes we're cocky in a way because we don't, we're, we're, we're almost doing that in a way to protect our vulnerable side. Um, in some respects. You know, it's always interesting when I talk with clients about relationships, a very common topic of interest for people. And I explain to them that in order to be vulnerable, uh, in order to have a relationship, you have to be vulnerable. In other words, you have to take a risk that you can be hurt. Um, that's a very real thing. Uh, you should go in with the brain in your head, uh, you know, as well. But if you avoid any type of the possibility of hurt, you will never have a relationship in any real capacity because your focus is going to be on that whether you get hurt or not. Um, but sometimes that's it. Sometimes we take the qualities of the stag to the negative in that respect, and um, we are um, overly pr proud in a way because we're fearful of being hurt or vulnerable. Now, the other thing is this whole process of calling, which is a natural process. You know, we call it the thinning of the herd in some respect as well, but we also deal with that individually. Sometimes we might need to purify ourselves or, you know, cull, meaning we might need to cut certain things out in a way that does kind of bring us back to a more harmonious, confident place because we've removed that. So uh, sometimes that's people, sometimes that's things, sometimes it's just elements of our personality and who we are. So culling actually is a wise thing to know how to do uh, from time to time. Um, Sometimes uh, we're giving in an uncomfortable way, um, and other times uh, we may need to be more comfortable with the idea of sacrifice in a more positive sense. So that's what the stag kind of brings up. So hopefully that had some element of, of insight to anybody listening. I'm going to read the upright position and close out with that for today's show, uh, because that's applicative to. Uh, it came up reverse, but we still always look at the positive elements of the stag. So uh, he says, stag is an animal totem, brings us the qualities of grace, majesty, and integrity. Contemplating the stag can help you to achieve a greater sense of poise and dignity. If you're ever confronted with a situation in which you feel vulnerable and under scrutiny, such as the court of law or public appearance, by tuning to the stag and asking for the protection of the spirit, you'll find yourself feeling calmer, stronger, and more dignified. 
sex signifies independence too, both spiritual and physical. By drawing this card, you'll be able to find the strength to gain and maintain your independence. In the Druid language of the sacred trees, the stag is related to the beoth, the birch tree, and the number one. The birch is associated with the blessings of beginnings, and it is auspicious to draw this card when contemplating new projects. The stag's connection with, connection with fertility and sexuality signifies that you will find a way to power and integrity to your sexual life. Okay, would love to comment on that, but I'm running out of time, so i got to go, but I'll leave that with you for contemplation. Uh, listen to it again if you're uh, in question, and that should give you some insight. Thanks for joining me today. We're already done with our show, so I guess uh, we weren't meant to do some live calls today. That worked out all right. If you're not already getting my monthly newsletter, email me at VenturaSag at Yahoo.com. Uh, you can get information about all the sessions and things I offer on my website at jimventura.com. Easy enough. And I will be back um, in the next week or so to do a live column read. I have a new column uh, called Just Snap Out of It that I'm talking about the effect of depression. So uh, it's going to be a good column and a good live read. And I'll get into it in more detail in the uh, next live show. And I will be doing uh, another installment from my teachings in June as well. Everybody have a great day. Thanks for tuning into the show. Jim Ventura signing out. Cheers. <laughs>